guys, welcome back to another episode of the Relegation Zone podcast, and it's a special one, Lay. Yes, it is. It is special because we, after, God, we first reached out to him like months ago, and <laughs> we have finally secured the first ever guest of the Relegation Zone podcast, Mr. Max Wadsworth, stat extraordinaire, former stat man at Sky Sports Amazon Video um itv something or other in the uk and he had loads of cool stories um about his experiences working as a professional footballing stats person um in the premier league and all kinds of cool travels all over the world to cover world cups rugby finals women's world cups golf tournaments the lot so he had a lot of cool stuff with us or to share with us um some of it a bit really? surprising. I don't know if we have too many UK viewers on here, but you might be surprised to hear what he had to say about some of the Sky Sports commentators back in the day. Of course, worked with Martin Tyler, Andy Gray, and the gang in the early 2000s. But, Lake, what was your favorite bit of that interview, putting you on the spot? Uh, I think it was pretty cool how he talked about how um, when they first started off with Sky Sports, they weren't very big. You know, he said they secured the contract, but... Uh, yeah, the fact that he ended up leaving them because they weren't that big at the time, and now they're just massive. So I think just the fact that he was kind of on the forefront of that was really cool. Yeah, and so we will um, play that interview for you guys um, a little bit later on in the show. But first, we want to get to the breaking news of the week in football. Late, a lot of midweek fo- footy going on this week with cup matches in basically every single league. Arsenal, of course. Having played Liverpool on Monday, we'll play them again today as of Thursday, October 1st. <laughs> That's just brutal. But it's in the Carabao Cup. And as we joked pre-pod, I don't really care about the Carabao Cup. <laughs> so, um, if we lose to Liverpool, whatever. But recapping the events of the last weekend um, in transfer news, Serginho Desk finally confirmed to Barca for roughly £23.5 million lathe. I know you were hoping you were going to see him make the switch to your club, Bayern Munich, but um, he has ended up in the Blaugrana of Barcelona. What do you make of this move? And do we see him make an instant impact? Is he even going to start? I honestly don't know. I mean, <clears throat> the only person he has to compete with over there is Sergio Roberto. They've sold Nelson Semedo. And he honestly plays a lot like Nelson Semedo. If you watch his clips, he's one of those fullbacks that really doesn't stay wide. He kind of just drifts inside centrally and tries to, I guess, contribute to the build-up play. So I think given their lack of, I guess, resources on the outside, we'll probably see him make some playing time. You know, it was his dream club when he was younger, so you can understand the appeal. But, yeah, slightly frustrated, but all, all in all, fair play, I suppose. Yeah, and the only other real news coming out of the transfer window, been quiet this week as we get closer and closer to the deadline. What is it, October Fifth or something like that. Yeah, October fifth deadline. Yeah, so we're just four days away as of now. But one move that I am certainly hoping gets scratched across the line before that deadline. Husam Awar. More links to Arsenal as we move along. I think he's a player that Arsenal definitely want. Again, no concrete news other than that. Um, Fabrizio Romano is relatively confident that it'll happen, and that's a big a vote of confidence as you get. <laughs> Because if he if he doesn't know about it, then it ain't happening. But he seems to speak some things into existence. I think. Yeah. So again, we talked about it in depth on the last pod. You know, he, Arsenal really lack 
just that sort of unlocking pass, you know, when you when you're playing against these these really deep lying lower tier teams in the Premier League. And right now they just lack the creativity to be able to break down those hard blocks in defense. And Hussein Alwar, I think, would be the perfect solution for that. But as we mentioned in the last pod, Arsenal are definitely going to have to sell, I think, to make this move. And it looks like Torreira might be the sacrificial lamb here for this move as he's been heavily linked with Atletico Madrid. Um, to be fair, I've, I've always enjoyed Torreira. I mean, I can recall immediately his, his excellent clinching goal in a North London derby. Um, a couple of seasons ago, been a solid Arsenal player, but again, if it means we bring in Awar, I'm more than happy to 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 see the backside of his jersey. Yeah, Awar is crazy good talent. I remember watching him in the game with Leon and Bayern, and he was definitely their spark. So I'm sure he can provide the same thing with Arsenal, should that be the case. Yeah, and so of course, all of this pending if they can get anything done in the next four days, and I'm sure Arsenal won't be the only club looking to make a last-ditch move as we get closer to the deadline. But we move on to the results from the past week weekend. Again, a lot of games yesterday and the day before in midweek, as well as the weekend's matches. But I want to start with my Nerazuri, the black and blue boys over at Inter with a fantastic opening to the season, a 5-2 win over Lowly Benevento. So I can't get too excited about that. Um, conceding two goals, not the best, but when you're bagging five goals a game, who cares about defending? Most importantly, my man, the new guy on the wing in, in Antonio Conte's attack over there in Italy, Ashraf Hakimi with a flying start, ne- grabbing a goal and an assist, an 8.9 match rating. I mean, like we knew that he was the perfect fit for this offense. We both had a feeling that this had the potential to be the most important move of the summer for any club. But are you at all surprised to see him make, I mean, that sort of impact in his first ever game? No, and I think it's because we're seeing him. He's been given more freedom. You know, the formation, is it suits him perfectly. He's got complete control over that entire right flank. So I look to see even more of this in the future. He's a really good talent, and I can't wait to see him utilize his abilities. Yeah, and of course, Romelu Lukaku starting off right where he finished last season, bagging um, – a few, I think it was one or two, at least one goal. I can't exactly recall. Let me get the stats in front of me here. Where we need Max, keep him on the pod. <laughs> be handy with the stats here. But yeah, Lukaku scoring in the first minute, um, as well as the twenty eighth. Yeah, watch that highlight. I mean, it was only like forty five seconds after kickoff that uh, that Lukaku scored. And good to see Lautaro getting on the score sheet at the end. Um, but yeah, this new look enter team with the addition of Hakimi and Vidal. Conte's got a good problem on his hands, but how do you figure out how to slot all these guys into a team that already had the likes of Christian Eriksen, um, some of these others, but good problem to have over in Italy. Now, the other half of Milan, I know I didn't put it on the pre-show rundown, but a 2-0 win for your half against Crotone. Any thoughts before I gladly move on from that scum? Uh, good win for Milan. Good to see him starting off strong. Can't say that I paid too much uh, attention to the game, given the opponent. It's not too quality. wasn't too unexpected. But, yeah, you remember what I said earlier in that there was no way that they would fall any farther than third this year. So I'm still sticking to that. We'll see. Okay, well, congrats. After one win you're, or two wins, you're still on track. Only only 36 <laughs> more. Um, but – a game that I certainly did keep a close eye on, and I'm assuming you at least saw the result. Arsenal won Liverpool three on the road at Anfield in the Premier League. Again, Arsenal plays Liverpool again today in the Carabao Cup. But 
all in all, from an Arsenal fan perspective here, not too surprised, nor am I very disappointed in it. It was a much closer game, I think, than a 3-1 scoreline suggests. Um, Liverpool did dominate the game. I will say that. They looked as good as they have in the past few months, certainly better than the way they ended last season. Um, but Arsenal were hanging in there for much of the game and honestly should have had a second goal from a Lacazette um, chance in the second half that would have made it 2-2, so things could have been a lot different. But, you know... Good signs, I think, still from Mikel Arteta's gunners here early on. And, and nice to see them. I mean, this was a game in previous years, you know, once. Because, of course, Arsenal went up 1-0 early. Um, but then Liverpool took the lead back relatively quickly. In past seasons, you know, you'd have seen this game snowball into a 3-4, potentially even 5-1 thrashing um, at the hands of Liverpool. They've really had our number the past few seasons. But I liked a little bit of the spine that, that Arteta's team showed in this match. Yeah, and uh, Diago Hota, or Hota getting on the board. We saw his qualities at Wolves. Uh, this Liverpool team looking pretty deep, honestly, now that I think about it. Yeah, they went from they need to make more moves, they're not making enough moves, classic Liverpool refusing to, you know, they're going to fall off, not keeping up the pace with Manchester City. And then they go and sign Diego Jota and Thiago in the span of one week, and now they look pretty set. Don't forget about Costas Manolas. I mean, Costas uh, Timikas at that left back position. I think he's probably going to press Andy Robertson this year a little more than people may think. Yeah, that's cap. That's just hey. You see, Andy Robertson's the best left back in, in football. So I I don't really. Um, see. I beg to differ. <laughs> I believe there's somebody on my own squad who might have that role. Well, we'll talk about how he and your squad performed right now as Bayern <laughs> shock of the weekend, a 4-1 drubbing at the hands of Hoffenheim. Laith, what the hell, man? Hey, <laughs> listen, Flick said he did not want to say this game was down to fatigue, but I think you have to mention that. I mean, Bayern's playing a game every th- three days, it seems, for the rest of the year. Uh, a lot of guys that weren't in the right spot, Sané got injured within 20 minutes, which is not something you want to see from a new signing. But I think I've cracked the code because I had we had not lost since December. And I had watched every single game since then. However, I was unable to view this one. So do you think there's any correlation there? I, I think there might be. No, what I, I think it has more to do just with the fact that Byron are just not actually that good. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you couldn't even finish wow. that one. <laughs> I don't. I don't really know what to make of this. You obviously have a better understanding of Byron than I do, but you know, it's a long season. And when you're coming off what I'm sure has got to be a little bit of a hangover from what was one of the greatest Bayern seasons ever last year, a result like this, you know, maybe not a four, one loss, but a loss was coming. No team is perfect. It happens to every team. So I'm sure Byron, whatever poor souls they play next time, or I'm sure going to feel the wrath of a, of a rebound victory for the Bavarians. But that was just the first of what was multiple upsets at the weekend as we go back to the Premier League. Okay, I updated you on the scoreline as it was in the first half. I sent you a text literally saying, holy bleep, look at the Chelsea scoreline. They trailed at 1.3-0 to newly promoted side West Brom, but were ultimately able to claw their way back to a 3-3 draw. But again, Leith, you and I seem to have been on to something. So far, a shaky start for the blue half of London so far through 2020. Yeah, and it was it's kind of the thing that we talked about. You know, a lot of new moving pieces in this squad. It's going to be interesting to see if 
uh, Frank Lampard can put them all in the right spot. But uh, just looking at the lineup here, once again, this wasn't a game I was able to catch. It seems like he had uh, he had habits at that attacking midfield role, which is something that I criticized him for uh, not having him last time. This one just seemed to go the other way. Yeah, taking a look at, again, very early on, and, and an interesting point, you know, when looking at league tables this early on in the season, you know, back before the internet and everything, you know, I, I've, I heard from, from listening to the Men and Blazers podcast that before all that, when you had to check the, you know, the Sunday papers for, or the Monday papers, I guess, after the week's action for the table update, the papers used to not even print the table until after the first five or six matches, just because it really doesn't matter what it looks like through so few games. But with that said, a little bit of overreaction Thursday here. Chelsea currently sitting in ninth. And when you look at teams they've played, I mean, a win against Brighton, you'd expect that. A loss against Liverpool, a team that they should be challenging for a title when you look at the the amount of money they spent. And then West Brom, you've played arguably two teams that are going to get relegated, and then Liverpool. And then, of course, a loss on penalties in the EFL Cup, the Carabao, or don't Carabao, the Carabao Cup. But shaky, shaky start for the Blues now. They do play Crystal Palace next, but that's no gimme as they are sitting currently in sixth after a pretty solid start um, for Roy Hodgson's side. But how soon do you think things get better for Chelsea? Because surely they will. Well, you know, I've highlighted this multiple times in the past. Uh, the man to watch is Hakim Ziyech. He's coming off of an injury right now. And, you know, we talked about Hakimi's impact to enter. I think Ziyech can be that guy for Chelsea as well. And I think he's probably going to help uh, Frank Lampard and turning these things around fairly quickly. Well, if there's any you know consoling news for Chelsea fans, the rest of the big six aren't exactly off to a flying start either, with the exception of Liverpool and the big six and a half. Everton also undefeated through three games. <laughs> but um, moving on to Manchester City, who had a disastrous result against, albeit a pretty solid Leicester City side, but they were beaten by the Foxes. Five to two. Now, a lot of penalties conceded by the citizens in this match, and that always can can throw a wrench in a scoreline. Um, I think three three penalties, no, four penalties um, were given to Leicester City. I wasn't able to watch the game, but you know, how much of this result do you chalk up to? Are there issues at City, or is it just a matter of really unlucky and giving away all these penalties? I want to say more so that it's unlucky. Uh, you know, Pep Guardiola is a guy who usually starts off fairly strong. He has things fixed, but I, I, I think this is kind of an outlier in that regard. And, you know, they've still, they've been putting in some missing pieces as well. You know, they signed Nathan Ake. I think he got a good bit of playing time in this game. Um, and I believe, didn't they just sign uh, another young defender? Yeah, I was about to say Ruben Diaz. I forgot how we yeah. couldn't in, that in the top. I wanted to ask you. Now that they've brought in Ake, Ruben Diaz, and um, who's the other center back they brought in? They, they brought in more than that just this year, haven't they? Or is that the only two? I feel like there was a third one, but I'm slipping my mind right now. Hold on. Let's give a little look up here. But still linked with Kalidou Koulibaly. My, my question is, how do all these players now fit in? Because you know, I'm Eric Laporte, I think, as bad as that defense was last season, he everybody still thinks of him as being a really good player. But now that you've got Nathan Ake and Ruben Diaz, and should they bring in um, 
Kalidou Koulibaly, like how would you even fit all these guys in? You now have too much. Yeah, I mean, I, I saw a stat where Manchester City has spent more on defenders than any other club in the world. It's obvious how important they are to Pep Guardiola's side, but you would think that this is just extra precaution seeing as how they suffered from a lack of depth last year. Uh, most of these guys are younger dudes, so you wouldn't expect big egos in terms of playing time, but you're right. If Koulibaly comes in, that's probably going to throw a wrench into things considering he's someone that you would assume would demand first-team reps immediately. Yeah, I just there's just no way, especially knowing Pep, he likes to play that his same formation with four at the back. I mean, no way if, if all three of those guys end up as City players that they all play consistently. Somebody's going to have to to get the short end of the stick there. And my feeling is that at least initially it would be uh, it would be Nathan Ake probably getting the axe there. But who knows? Um, all right. So moving on real fast. Actually, do we want to do the picks before we play Max's interview or after? Uh, I don't know. What do you think? I reckon we'll do it after. All right. Yeah. With that as a tee up, here is our interview with world-renowned veteran stats man Max Wadsworth. Check it out. Who also, I should mention, has a book coming out, the FIFA Ultimate Quiz book. Um, he will talk in depth about it in the interview, but here we'll let it play. All right, everybody, welcome back. We are so happy to announce our first guest on the Relegation Zone podcast. Don't know if he knew that or not. Maybe that um, kind of gives away how crap our podcast actually is. But I'm so welcome or happy to welcome Mr. Max Wadsworth all the way over from the UK. Big time difference we had to figure out um, as it is early morning here in the United States. But how are we doing over there, Max? How are things? Thanks for, so much for joining us. Very good. Thank you, Nathan. It's good to... Uh... Uh, of you to invite me uh, very well. I'm uh, very busy at the moment working on the Champions League, actually, because the draw is coming up later today, uh, at five o'clock, I think it is, at um, the UEFA headquarters in Switzerland. So I'm uh, ready to provide some stats for some various people on that, actually. Yes, that. so forgot to mention it off the top, but Max, of course, so I would just describe you, I guess, as kind of a professional stat man and a long-time veteran at that. But for, for people who don't know, how would you describe what it is that you do and how you are involved in football stats like that? Well, it goes back a long way. I've, I've been a statistician now in sport for almost 30 years. I started back in 1991 for a renowned stats guy uh, who gave me my first break, uh, basically just uh, putting in elite tables uh, on, on a, a magazine, magazine newspapers, uh, European league tables. And... Um, as a result of working for him, uh, I got the job at Sky Sports back in 1992. Now, this was the first season that Sky uh, got the contract for the Premier League. Uh, so it's almost 30 years ago now since they got that. And I was working with um, Richard Keyes as the presenter and Andy Gray, who was a co-presenter and also co-commentator. Uh, Martin Tyler, who's still there. And Ian Dark, who worked on the Monday Night Football. Um, he'll be familiar with a lot of American viewers because he does commentate in the States for, I'm not sure which broadcaster it is, but uh, he's quite well known over there. So I'm sure uh, Nathan and Nathan, you know him well or heard of him. Um, and I loved it there because uh, I was only 23, 24 years old. 
and I was watching football for a living. I mean, what else would you like, do you want really at that age? You know, a young boy just starting out. Uh, and back in those days, Sky had a lot of money, and we used to have a great time. We used to fly off to, to places uh, like Scotland. I know it's not very elegant, Scotland sometimes, but you know, the weather wasn't great. We used to fly, Sky had their own plane. We used to fly to Newcastle and back in the day. If we had to do a game at Newcastle or Middlesbrough, anywhere in the northeast, if we went to Manchester. We would drive up there, stay in a hotel the night before, have room service, um, and then the next morning we would do the game. Uh, sit in a truck uh, outside the ground. It's not as glamorous as you think it is. You know, you think, oh, you're actually in the stands watching the game. No, you're outside in the car park in a truck but with all the monitors. And you're sitting there watching football. You think, great, this is brilliant. And so in those days, there wasn't really, there wasn't any internet. And uh, so I had to provide information manually. So I had to write my appearance grids on a pen and paper. Um, so I would see who played in what game and who scored. So that'd be information for the commentators. Also, um, back in those days, there wasn't really any um, uh, history between the clubs um, as, as regards to where I could find it. So I had to have uh, club books. So I remember one, once when Newcastle beat Manchester United 5-0 in 1996. I was thinking, when was the last time? You know, they'd won beating Manchester United by so many goals. I thought, well, how am I going to find this? But I had a Newcastle club book and it has all their results going back to the start of all their history. So I, I looked back and I thought, oh, there you go. The, the Newcastle beat Manchester United 5-0 back in 1956 or whenever it was. So that was a nice line to give to Richard Keyes at the end of the game. And that was their biggest win over United for 40 years. And that was really my whole purpose of being a statsman and broadcasting, is to make the commentators and the presenter and the reporters sound good, sound like they know what they're talking about. Um, and also to provide the information quickly and accurately for the viewer. For example, uh, Richard might, Richard Keyes might ask me a question and, and I, I, we've got 30 seconds before we go off air and I've got to find it in 20 seconds. And that's where uh, having a good database uh, comes into play because if you have a really good database, you know where to look for the answer accurately and quickly and that's what you need. And I keep a database here at home on Excel of all the appearances and goals for a lot of players and a lot of teams. Uh, not just in football, for tennis, it's golf and stuff. And I can access, I, I know the kind of information that's going to be asked, so I would tailor that, my database, to show that information quickly. So um, I think I've covered that. And then uh, after Sky, after nine years at Sky, I decided I wanted to move on and work for ITV Sport. They had beautiful offices on the South Bank near the River Thames on the 19th floor, beautiful view of London. And I wanted to work for a more high-profile show, which was called The Premiership, which was the BBC equivalent of Match of the Day. Um, ITV had it for three years, from 2001 to 2004. And I also wanted to work with one of my favourite uh, presenters, a guy called Des Lynham. Uh, some of you might have heard of him. Uh, he's quite very well known over in England, but I'm sure this, in the States, a lot of people might have heard of him as well. He had a star. She's very smooth and suave. And I wanted to work on this high-profile show because the Sky then had about 500,000 viewers and in Match of the Day, or the Premiership as it was called, had about you know, seven or eight million viewers every Saturday night. And plus I also wanted to work on the Champions League, which uh, ITV had at the time. Uh, but more importantly as well, also World Cups uh, and European Championships, which Sky obviously didn't have. Uh, these had to be on terrestrial television, so they were shared between ITV Sport and BBC Sport. I've also worked on Rugby World Cup, so I worked <coughs> on the Rugby World Cup when England won in 2003, and they beat Australia in Australia. And also, I've worked on golf and more recently tennis for Amazon Prime Video, which I'm really enjoying. 
Cool. So <clears throat> I want to bring Laith in here, uh, my co-host. And we've got a lot of questions for you. I'm sure describing all these crazy experiences, but uh, I want to go ahead and let Laith have at it first. You you have the floor. Yeah, Max, uh, <clears throat> I know you highlighted the importance of keeping your database up to date. Uh, how much time on average do you think you've spent per day just making sure that's right? Well, good question, Laith, because it does take a long time. Uh, I put it all in manually. Uh, using the internet, I do look at the uh, teams and uh, who scored and all that. So I use a couple of sites for, for that. And I, I put it into Excel. And this Excel database I have, it's right in front of me actually at the moment. It's got, um, um, I can't remember the name of the word. Uh, it's got uh, things in there that help me calculate various information. Um, and so, for example, if I put in somebody's name, It'll tell me straight away how many games and goals he scored, uh, how many goals he scored to sub, how many goals he scored when he started, uh, what, you know, what's his record number of games in a row, what's his, what's his most games he scored in, and what's his record against a particular club. And macros, that's the word, macros in, in, the, um, in the Excel database. So uh, my friend of mine, this computer guy, set it up for me. All I have to do is put in the information, and it comes up with this brilliant set of stats that I, I could use to provide the commentators with a great line. Uh, it will, it'll work out um, you know, his record uh, against Tottenham. For this, so I'm, I'm in, uh, at the moment, I'm in Barcelona. So if I look at Messi, and I can look straight away at his record against uh, the playing Celta Vigo tonight. So it'll bring up all the games he's played and against Celta. He scored 13 goals in 17 games against Celta Vigo. It lists out all the games that he scored in. So that's the kind of uh, uh, detail you need in order to uh, you know, provide quick information for the commentators, but also to, to, to provide the notes that you would do, the match notes before the game, like you provide three or four days before the match, and you provide them with these stats so that they can use them uh, during the game. And then there's in-play stats where you'll sample where Barcelona might get to three or four, as I mentioned before, with Newcastle Man United, Barcelona might get to three or four nil, and you have to look to the last time Barcelona won, it's won four nil at Celta Vigo. Um, and or when was the last time Messi missed a penalty or when was the last time he was sent off or anything that happens during the game. Um, you know, I'm looking now for the last player Barcelona play sent off. It was obviously last season. It was uh, Fatty against Espanyol back in July. But, you know, it's, it's, um, it's that kind of information that you need to have to hand um, to, 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 to um, you know, to make, to make you a credit, creditable stats guy. All right. Well, we are going to put that a little bit to the test here. I don't want to put you on the spot, but we, of course, are very interested in the stats that you have. I myself, as well documented on the podcast, am a big Arsenal fan, Laith, a, a big Bayern fan. So I am sure you keep track extensive you know, stats of Premier League teams. Do you also have some, some Bundesliga information as well? Yes, I have uh, uh, um, Bayern's results and appearance grids going back since the start of the century, actually. Okay, then. All right. So let's see. I want to give you some time. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I want to to see, I guess, so I see that you put out on Twitter all these crazy stats for multiple sports, too. And I'm sure you must be an absolute riot, you know, at the pub, at the bar, knowing some of these off the top of your head. So do you have anything when I say, you know, what's a stat that constantly impresses people or what's something, you know, that if that 
when you when you tell people people don't believe you and you say here well look i have the stats to back it up this is true yeah i mean that occasionally comes up uh you know that's that's what every stats guy strives for is to find that killer stat uh, that someone will say that's really good you know brilliant um so it doesn't come up all the time but um yeah, you're constantly striving for it and you're constantly asking the database questions to say, you know, this is a good stat. Or you know, that, that, it's just the way a stats guy's brain works is that they have to try and find that kind of information, dig deeper, there's different layers, deep, dig deeper into different layers, layers and layers and layers until you find something that's really good. But sometimes stats guys, they... They put out stats that are just a little bit boring and don't really kind of um, mean anything. Uh, so you've got to be careful. You don't want to be, you know, uh, too, too, um, too boring on the stats. But they've got to be a little bit, got to be interesting. Uh, otherwise, mm -hmm. there's no point putting them out there. Yeah. And with that said, do you have, you know, I know we're not too many weeks so far through the Premier League season, but have there already been some interesting things come up? Um, or, or any trends that you're noticing as you're keeping as you're keeping stats through these first few weeks in the Premier League? Uh, I think the goals uh, certainly have been going in, haven't they? I haven't looked uh, at the league table, but uh, certainly there have been more goals uh, this season uh, from the start than there have been for a while. I couldn't tell you when was the last time there have been more goals. Uh, so it's pretty poor of me not to know that off the top of my head. <laughs> uh, but uh, I think, you know, certainly um, the goals uh, situation has been amazing. Uh, the, but the penalties as well. Um, I, I, obviously, there's a big handball debate at the moment with VAR. Uh, whether that's um, going to change, I don't know. But you know, the, the, at the end of the day, I think we should just leave it. We can go talk about VAR all, all night, but we, I think we should just leave it to the ref and the, his teammates with the flags and let him get on with it. Uh, but I think they seem to have lost the idea of handball. You know, it's more, it's got, it should be deliberate. That's it. And so, you know, I can't see any 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 other reason why they should change it. Uh, as far as any kind of, um, well, I mean, that 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 result by Manchester City when they lost five two at home to uh, Leicester was an, an amazing result. That really stood out for me. The fact that uh, I think uh, no team managed by Guardiola has ever um, conceded five goals in a game. And I that's not great because Guardiola, you remember, has only been a manager for, well, I say only, but he's been managed for 12 years and he's been managed, he's managed Barcelona, Bayern Munich and Man City. So you wouldn't really expect his team to concede five goals, would you? Yeah, I guess not. So, um, you know, that stat, if, you think, if you think about it, that stat isn't really that good. <laughs> if you, if, if uh, stats do you have stats a certain man, team that you support? I support Queen's Park Rangers. It's a small team in London. Uh, oh, yeah, we know. Yeah. They've got blue and white. Who hoops. is it that was the big scorer over there? Was it Charlie uh, a couple of years ago? Uh, well, it was Les Sorry. Ferdinand, of course, back in the day. Mm -hmm. Do you remember Les Ferdinand? Do not, yeah. It's the, uh, before time. <laughs> late, late. <laughs> Isn't the resident Premier League expert here? I claim that that is, I think you're thinking of Charlie Austin. Is that yeah, Charlie Austin? Yeah, yeah. Austin Charlie yeah. Austin. Yeah, he was he was there for a while. Um, he I mean he was he was okay. Yeah, he did pretty well for us. Uh, but uh, I don't really see them as much as I'd like to. Well, obviously can't at the moment because uh, the coronavirus. But uh, uh, they're only just around the corner, really, about two miles away from me. But I don't really get a chance. I've got young children. I need to spend time with them at the weekend. So, uh, unfortunately, I, my days of going to football matches 
I've been I've gone for a while, but I'll get back into it at some point. Okay. So I want to move on and talk about some of these experiences you've had, you know, traveling around with Martin Tyler and the gang, mm-hmm. going to these games as well as you mentioned, um, going to Japan for World Cups, going to Rugby World Cups. So, you know, when you look back at some of the coolest experiences you've had in those years of your career, what's a story that really comes to mind or, a, or an experience that that you would like to share that was just really cool that made you realize, yeah, this this life traveling around and getting paid to, to go to football matches is insane. <laughs> well, there's quite a few. Um, I would say, I'd say working on the, uh, going to Moscow was actually really good fun. Uh, working on the Champions League final in Moscow for ITV Sport. It was uh, back in 2008. It was Manchester United against Chelsea, which went to penalties. And, it was just a great experience just going to somewhere I'd never been to before and I'm not sure I'll ever go to again. It was a really nice place and I uh, went to the Red Square and enjoyed the um, banter with the uh, Skylock because uh, they were there as well, Skylock. Um, so going to going to Moscow was brilliant. Uh, then going to Japan and Korea was fantastic too because another place I'll probably never go to again I uh, enjoyed the culture. I enjoyed the football. Uh, it was my first World Cup that I'd worked on. Um, so that was brilliant as well. Uh, flying first class to Scotland, for some reason, it just stays with me. I don't know why. <laughs> I used to get champagne on board. <coughs> oh, excuse me. <coughs> used to have champagne, and not caviar. But uh, a nice meal on board, and then we, when we got to the airport, we were got chauffeurs to drive us to the game, and it was just first class kind of um, service really, because in those days Sky did have a lot of money. Uh, we don't spend so much on it on the people now, but we used mm-hmm. to stay in the best hotels, and it just made to feel really special. And if you made to feel special, then you'll do a good job. So the next morning after we'd been in the hotel. Have a nice breakfast, go to the game, get another chauffeur driven car uh, to the game, meet the uh, meet the pundits. So, again, you'd, you'd end up talking to former footballers, people you've watched as a, as a kid, you know, um, and kind of some of them are kind of your heroes as well. So, you know, I'd end up meeting. Uh, just trying to think of Les Ferdinand, for example, is one of my heroes. So I met him a few times when he was a pundit. Um, yeah, Roy Keane. I mean, there's so many, so many players, ex-players that you meet. Um, it's just not just football as well. I mean, uh, I've, I've worked on the snooker, so I met Steve Davis, who I grew up with as a kid, and I loved playing, watching him, and he's one of my childhood heroes. Uh, I, I, I've been working on the tennis recently, so I've met uh, Tim Henman and Greg Rosetsky. And you get you get to meet all these former sportsmen, which is a nice uh, extra added extra as well. So you can talk to them about anything really, and it's like you get your photo taken with them, and you put it on Twitter. I haven't done that very often actually, but I could do if I wanted to, but I don't actually really want to blag about it. But that, that's a nice little thing that you meet all your all your all your all your childhood heroes really. Yeah. So um, you've got to. I don't want to put you again on the spot too hard, but you got to meet a lot of really cool people, including, I mean, 
Now, granted, I know you're working at Sky, not to make you feel a bit older, but in the early years of our lives here. So um, a lot of these guys' names that you mentioned, you know, just are people that we might necessarily have heard of. But I have heard of Martin Tyler and and the other guys that are still at Sky and still doing um, commentary over there. You know, for for people who don't know, like, you have any cool stories of just just cool interactions with them, or like, what was it like, you know, being able to to just have a conversation with these people about football? Well, Martin Tyler knows more about football than anyone I've ever met in my life. <laughs> the guy is just unbelievable. He, he'll just because he's been doing it for so long, he's been doing it for fifty years. His knowledge of football is incredible. Uh, I don't talk to them that much. I, I basically I send them the information on an email. And that, that's normally, there's kind of a match pack, which is all the information they'll probably need for the game. Um, you know, any interesting stuff on, on a player, for example, this could be his 200th game for the club, or he's gone 10 months without a goal, or he's gone five matches without a goal, it's his longest run without scoring for the club. So all the information is there, so I don't really need to talk to him that much before the game. Um... So they've pretty much pretty much done. It's during the game, and they, I might need to get in touch with them. As I said, if it gets to four or five nil, then I'll certainly they'll be asking me um, when was the last time that happened. But being a good stats man, you'd already have the information, or that you'd have the answer ready before they even answer ask ask the question. Because if it gets to two three nil, you're already looking to see when the last time they won five nil. You've got to be one step ahead all the time. Um, because if you're caught short and not don't know the answer straight away, then I think you're not a good stats man. So that's what, that's very important. Um, I've had chats with Richard Keys and Andy Gray. Uh, I they won't hear this, but it's, they're possibly the rudest men in television. <laughs> so really? they used to they used to bully me quite a lot uh, in in a kind of you know kind of banter, laddish kind of way, not not seriously bad bullying, but they they. they they certainly take the mickey out of me quite a lot um, uh, while I was there. Sometimes almost to the point where I was crying uh, and very upset. But anybody who's worked with him will know that anyway. Um, so that was quite hard. Um, actually, working for Sky was hard. It was really hard work in a good way, I suppose. But it was really tough. It, but it was a good grounding for me because you can work there work anywhere i tell you that because the people who worked in the production there the producer the director very very demanding people uh and also quite difficult to work with and and uh it, was, it, was, it wasn't a great atmosphere there even though we were producing good telly and it was, you know, it was good shows uh it was really 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 tough uh grounding for me so i i got out of that and working by tv was actually a piece of cake compared to sky uh, there was a lot of uh, information uh, on, on their shows, stats information on the Sky shows. So it was quite a stat-heavy show. Because so, uh, in the first couple of years at Sky, they, they were on air for two hours before the games kicked off. Two hours on air before the match. So they had to fill it with a lot of stats and a lot of kind of graphics uh, to show these stats. So, you know, a lot of shows now, they, they have a lot of stats on, on their graphics on their shows. Uh, back, back, back in Sky, there was the same thing. So uh, there was a lot of prep to do before the game, uh, not just for the commentators, the notes I told you about, but also putting on a lot of graphics on the show for for that two-hour build-up. Yes, sir. Well, 
just kind of a, a, a more lighthearted, funny question here. So you, you used to have to keep all of the data, you know, manually in, in papers and files, you know, at its peak of, of pre-internet, how much space did that like take up in your house? Like, are we talking about, you know, I imagine just folders and folders stacked in, in a closet somewhere. Did it look something like that? <laughs> Uh, well, back in those days, I was just doing the English clubs, so I wasn't concentrating on any foreign clubs back then. It was just the Premier League clubs that were playing in the Premier League that particular season. So um, it was just a folder for each season. And it wasn't a huge folder because each each uh, team would take up about two pieces of A4 paper. Uh, so um, not a huge amount. All right, well... I want to give you a chance to, again, promote your new book, which I do believe comes out today, according to your Twitter um, post. So congratulations on that. But yes, the FIFA Ultimate Quiz Book by Max Wadsworth. I want to give you more here. Give us the pitch. What's in it? Why should people be excited about your book? Thank you. Yes, well, I'm I'm pleased it's come out. Uh, I'm very proud of it, uh, considering the fact that uh, while I was writing it, I suffered a heart attack. And I was in hospital for two weeks. Uh, I had to undergo triple heart heart bypass surgery. And uh, I had to write it while I was in hospital. Well, I wrote some of it while I was in hospital uh, to keep me busy before my operation. Um, Because I I, I didn't even write it on on, on my computer. I wrote it on handwritten and then put it onto my computer for questions at a later date. Uh, But it's basically four sections uh, of uh, quizzes. Uh, first of all, there are quizzes on the World Cup. Uh, each World Cup tournament has been played, just not just men, but women. So starting off with 1930, I'm sure you know the first uh, World Cup was held in Uruguay. 30 questions on that. And then following on, the 34 World Cup, 1934, 1934 in Italy. Again, another 30 questions on that, and so forth, so on and so forth. <coughs> and then there's a section on the major international teams, uh, beginning with... Argentina and ending with Uruguay. Again, 30 questions on each of those um, countries, as well as uh, questions on other North American nations, other European nations, other Asian nations, other African nations. Then you get onto the legendary players. So, 30 questions on, I think it's 30 different players Messi, Van Basten, Gerd Muller. Garadinica, Puskas, Eusebio, Maradona, Ronaldo, that's Cristiano Ronaldo, and the Ronaldo's, the other Ronaldo's on there as well. Finally, the great clubs. Again, 30 questions on the major clubs in the world AC Milan, Manchester City, Juventus, Inter Milan, uh, Club America, uh, Independiente. There's no American clubs in here, actually, North, no North American clubs. Manchester City, Manchester United, PSG, Real Madrid, Barcelona, Santos, Brazil so on and so forth. Uh, so those are the four sections uh, and there were over 100 quizzes uh, in total and and then there were over 100, there were over 3,000 questions in all um, and there's a picture round as well uh, in the middle so there's about 10 picture questions in the middle which is quite fun uh, odd ones out and uh, things like the goals, one of the goal scores, unwanted record and there's basically five teams you've got to guess which one is the odd one out um, and, and things like that so um, it's very um, in-depth it's the, the, the questions are quite uh, well basically I don't want the questions to be too easy I don't want them to be too hard um, <clears throat> because um, 
I didn't make the questions too easy because I'm assuming that my audience will be pretty knowledgeable. Uh, I know that if I looked at a quiz book and got all the answers correct on the first page, then I probably wouldn't read on. And equally, if I made the question too difficult, if I could not get any of them right at first glance, then again, I'd probably you know, reject it. Uh, try to avoid boring questions for obvious reasons, uh, lifestyle questions, uh, try to avoid them. And also I try to avoid questions that might go out of date. Uh, the questions in the book should be should be date proof at least until the next uh, World Cup. Um, so if you want to use these books for your own quiz, the questions, most of them should be correct for years to come. Uh, and they should be spread over over a number of years as well, uh, from the very first World Cup in 1930s I mentioned to the present day. So whatever age you might be, there should be at least several quizzes that will appeal to them. Yeah. So when when this book comes out, are you going to be keeping keeping your your eyes peeled, looking for a pub night where they're going to use your quiz book, so you can just go over there? Because I feel like now that you you've done this book, like you've got to be dominating every pub quiz game or or trivia night out there. Am I wrong? I'd like to think that people would use it. My, my sister certainly said she would be using it for her quiz night, her school quiz night, um, and I'm hoping that uh, <coughs> you know this book will be. Uh, in everybody's household uh, before Christmas, we're coming up, you know. Uh, but uh, I'm hoping that uh, this, this quiz, this this quiz book, will be used by quiz quiz masters everywhere. Um, and I hope to write another quiz book at some stage in the future. Because uh, actually, I'm writing two more books next year. I'm doing a book on Real Madrid and a book on Barcelona. Um, it's basically on this day to show that um, what happened in, in Real Madrid's history on a particular every day of the year. So I've got to pick every day of the year. And, and obviously different year, uh, but uh, so what happened for, uh, for Barcelona in the 1st of January 1979 and then the 2nd of January maybe 1989 uh, and so on and so forth. Um, so uh, I'm hoping to write some more books. I've got a good um, um, relationship with my, with my publisher and I'm hoping that uh, I might be able to write a book on the Women's World Cup because I worked on the last one, uh, which America won, of course, I worked for BBC Sports on that, and I enjoyed it very much. And I have a very good database uh, of, of information on the players and results for the World Cup. And uh, I didn't go to France for that, but I don't know if you watched the uh, Women's World Cup last year, but uh, America won it again, and they're the best team in the world, and uh, obviously very big in America at the moment. Yeah. All right, well... Before we get you out of here again, thanks so much for joining us. And everybody will be sure to put out links to um, your book. And we, we, of course, encourage all of our listeners to give it a shout. Once again, is the FIFA Ultimate Quiz Book by Max Wadsworth. But again, before we get you out of here, we have started a weekly segment here on the show. We're going into the weekend. We make some picks. Mm. Lath is currently in the lead. We pick eight games each week, which we decide – and since you're the Mr. Statman, I would think I hope that you would have a bit of an <laughs> yeah. expert in here. You'd like to think so. Yeah, so to start things off, we pick two games from each of the top four leagues. Sorry if League Owen just didn't make the cut here for these. But um, first and foremost, in the Premier League at the weekend, Manchester United and Spurs. How do you see that yeah, one? Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, Manchester United have made uh, Obviously, on uh, the first day, they lost 3-1 at home to Palace, I think. And since then, they've won the last three. Uh, obviously, two of them have been in the, in the League Cup, uh, but they've won the last two matches at Brighton. So they're going uh, into this game with a bit of confidence. Um, 
um, despite that loss to Palace on the opening day. And Tottenham, well, they've, they, they've been busy this week because they've had the uh, League Cup last night uh, against Chelsea, which they, or two nights ago, wasn't it, against Chelsea where they won on penalties. And then they're playing tonight against Maccabi Haifa in the uh, Europa League qualifier. So I expect Marino to rest a few players, but I think Tottenham will be quite tired. So I expect Manchester United to win this one. All right. Do you have a score prediction every single one of these two? Because we give you double points okay. on the uh, stat. That's how we keep up with it. I'll go so, Manchester 2-1. 2-1 to the Red Devils. All right. Next in the Premier League, one that I'm really excited to look for. I'm expecting this to hopefully be a high-scoring game. Manchester City and Leeds. Yes. Um, Manchester City, as you say, are high-scoring because so far the games have had 4, 3, 7 and 3. So, what's that? That's 17 goals in their first four matches. Uh, which is an um, incredible amount of uh, goals. They've, obviously, they've, they've had um, a 2-5 defeat at um, home to Leicester, but they won on the opening day at Wolves. On the opening day. So their way, their way record is pretty good. Uh, Leeds, well, obviously exciting, and they've made a great start, obviously, uh, winning uh, the last two matches, 4-3 and 1-0 at Sheffield United. I'm going for a draw here, uh, because Leeds are pretty strong at home. Uh, I can't remember the last time they lost in the, at home in, in the in the league. Uh, it's been a while. Um, I think it's back in February. But uh, they're they're a good team at home. So I'm going to go for a draw here. One all draw. All right. Now moving on to Syria. Uh, of course, in our podcast, we keep up on on basically just about every major league again, excluding the French league, because we're just not here for the Farmers League stuff. But. Um, Inter and Lazio. I am a closet Inter fan. I like to keep track of my Nerazzurri over there. So how do you see this one playing out? Um, Inter, uh, it's at Lazio, isn't it? It's at the Stadio Olimpico. Uh, Lazio had a terrible result last night, didn't they? Losing uh, 4-1 at home to Atalanta. Although Atalanta, of course, are no team to be... Uh, they're, they're a good side uh, at Atalanta, and they really are. I and mean, they've made a great start again this season, two wins out of two. But uh, so I, 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 Lazio had a terrible result, didn't they? One four one at home to uh, Atlanta, but uh, an Inter. Well, I mean they've been scoring for fun, haven't they? Nine goals in their first four games, uh, giving a five two win last night. So I'm going for an Inter, an inter upset here uh, at Lazio uh, by two goals to nil. I like that pick. I like that pick, Max. Hopefully <laughs> that comes true. Next in Serie A, Juve and Napoli. Juve off to a seems like a strong start under Andrea Pirlo in his first season, but is that going to be enough to carry through against um, this Napoli side? Again, two sides uh, who well, again this, these are two sides that are in the Champions League, just like Inter and uh, Atalanta are, aren't they? Uh, uh, because um, they finished in the top four. Uh, Napoli very strong again this season. Eight goals scored, none conceded. Top of the league. Flying start by them. Uh, Juve drew two all at uh, Rome on the uh, in midweek. So um, this is going to be a tough one to call. Um, Napoli are very strong at home as as they always are. Um, just not trying to think the last time they lost. I think it was beginning of February, but they've won like seven or eight games in a row at home. Whereas Juve are not so good away at the moment. I remember at the end of last season, the back end of last season, they were. They lost, I think, 4-2 at Milan, drew <clears> 3 <throat> all at Sassuolo, lost at Union Aging, lost at Cagliari. <clears throat> this is a new season uh, and things might change. So I'm going to go for a 
draw here again, uh, a one-all draw. All right, and then into La Liga, Barcelona and Sevilla, I think are the biggest matchup of the weekend over in Spain. What do you think of that one? Yeah, well, Barcelona are playing tonight. We had a great start, beating really well 4-0 at home on the weekend, uh, last weekend. So <coughs> they've started well under their new boss, Koeman. Sevilla also uh, 3-1 win at Cadiz midweeks, and they're playing, I think they're playing tonight as well at home to Levante. So I expect Barcelona to, with home advantage, to win this 3-0. No, 3-1. Three, 3-1. Oh. Okay, and then secondly in La Liga, we have Valencia and Real Betis. I'm also, again, not the biggest La Liga watcher, I'll admit on this podcast, but Betis is a team that really excites me, and I hope they'll do well this season. But will they get a result today or, well, this weekend? Um, Both have started pretty well, haven't they? Um, Valencia... Second in the table, I think they, I think they'll find. Um, so they, they're pretty strong again at home. They haven't lost at home for quite a while. I'm just trying to think of the last time they lost. Um, they did look well. I, I'm going to go with home uh, advantage again here. Uh, Betis not not so good on the road, uh, so I'm going to go two nil to uh, Valencia. All right, and then games much closer to Leitz Hart over in the Bundesliga. Um, harder always for us to find games in this one because I just feel like, you know, we never just want to throw Bayern in there because we're both just going to pick Bayern. So we're trying to get some games that will split the opinion here. We have Eintracht Frankfurt against Hoffenheim. Yeah, Hoffenheim uh, made a fantastic start. I can't remember the last time they won their opening two matches, but they've done it this season. Uh, and I'm going to go for a Hoffenheim win here because – um, uh, they scored four goals uh, at home to Bayern Munich in their last game. They beat, they beat uh, Bayern 4-1, <coughs> um, which is a pretty amazing result. They've got that guy, Kramerich, who's scored, I think, seven goals in the open three games of the season. So he's very dangerous. Um, and Eintracht, I just don't think at the moment, are really firing on all cylinders. So uh, Hoffenheim, top of the Bundesliga at the moment, 1-0 win at Frankfurt. All right. And then lastly, to wrap things up, RB Leipzig versus Porsche. I hate to see how, how far they're slipping down after the COVID-19 crisis really hampered them economically. But how do you see our last game here playing out? Yeah. Um, Leipzig, um, I think, are going to be too strong for them again in the Bundesliga. I mean, they, they, they lost. I remember the city remember they lost... Uh, uh, home to Borussia Dortmund back in June, uh, Leipzig, but they, they they're very very strong at home, and poor old Schalke, as you say, uh, are struggling a little bit at the moment. Uh, so I'm going to go for a home win here. Uh, yeah, because Schalke they, they they lost eight 0 didn't they at Bayern, um, which was yeah. an <coughs> amazing result, uh, and they haven't played away from home since then. So I'm going to go Leipzig four nil. <laughs> poor old Schalke. Right. Well, again, the stat man himself, those are his yeah. picks. I'm not, not saying making any betting advice off of it, but I'll be taking a good I, look. I haven't written it down, actually. I can't, like, if you could email them to me what I've said, then I could I check against them when, when the results come in. If you, if you could email them to me, I'd appreciate it. Absolutely. <laughs> because I haven't written them down. Well. I've said them, but I haven't written them down. We, 
we will certainly be keeping track of them as we always we always love looking back on them the next week. Um, so far, Lath and I have been pretty tight through three weeks, but hopefully um, we'll have some good wins in your column to add to this sheet. But once again, thanks so much for joining hey, us, Max. And be sure everyone to check out uh, Max's book, the FIFA Ultimate Quiz Book, in stores um, as of today, I believe. Yeah, as of today, um, lovely. Yes, thank you very much, Nathan. Uh, hopefully it'll sell well and they'll give me another book to do, hopefully. You gonna buy one? Yes, sir. Absolutely. Going in every single stocking this Christmas. My my brother doesn't know you know football from tennis, but he's getting a book. Though. <laughs> okay, great, great stuff. Brilliant, Nathan. Okay. Right. Cheers, Max. Okay. Really appreciate you. No, no problem. It's been a pleasure. All right. Thanks again so much to Max Wadsworth. It was an absolute pleasure having him on to talk some footy. And again, a guy who has so much experience in football going on for longer than we've been alive like and someone who clearly enjoys what he's doing you know you could tell in that interview he was excited talking about stats and just bringing up stuff that he cares a lot about so that was really cool to see yeah and again be sure to check out his new book the fifa ultimate quiz book the official quiz book of the fifa world cup um, which is in stores and online as of today actually but you heard max's picks Going to be tough to top those. I mean, he is a professional stat guy at the end of the day. You would think that he would have us beat here late. But let's see if we can one-up him this week. We start with Manchester United v Spurs. You heard his take. What do you think, Leif? I think this ends up being a Manchester United win 3-1. to 3-1 United. I, as much as I love to pick against Spurs, you know, I think they're going to come out a little bit better. It was a pretty... Solid win against Chelsea midweek in the Carabao Don't Carabao Cup. But <laughs> I think Manchester United just have too much talent. And again, I can't really back a Jose Mourinho side. Um, not against his former club. I could see him coming in a little hot-headed there. I'm going to say a 2-1 victory for the Red Devils. Next, the other half of Manchester, Manchester City and Leeds. I'll go first here late. Expecting a really high-scoring game. Neither team has really showed an ability to defend well, despite one team spending, you know, 200 million pounds on defenders. Um, but I expect it to be high scoring, probably really similar to Leeds' first match of the Premier League season against Liverpool. But I think I see City getting their results. They need a bounce back win after the Leicester game. I'm going to say City 3-1. Hmm. I'm going to go a little bit higher than you. I'm going to say City 4-2. I think we see a lot of goals. All right, next up in Syria. Ah, my Nerazuri boys back at it again against their first tough test of the season in Lazio. Lathe, what you got? I don't know if you were listening, but um, Max called this one an upset in Interwins. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's Cap. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with a 2-2 draw. I think this is going to be a hard-fought match. A lot of defensive talent in that Lazio side. don't think Inter put up the same numbers they've been putting up. See, I think it goes the other way. I think... Chiro Immobile on one side, Lukaku, Hakimi, Eriksen, and Lataro, and just all the attacking talent that Inter have. And they've been prone to conceding goals, as we saw against Benevento. I think really high scoring, and I'm going to say actually a 3-3 draw. Not a terrible result for the boys early on, though. Next in Serie A, Juve and Napoli. I don't know too much about either side at the moment. Still pretty early on in the season, but Juve's got Cristiano Ronaldo. That's enough for me to back them to get a 2-1 win. I'm going to go with the surprise upset here, and I'm going to go with the 1-2 or the 2-1 win for Napoli. That would be quite the upset, I think. 
All right, in La Liga, Barca and Sevilla. I'm big high on the uh, on the Sevilla boys this season after you know a strong finish to last season winning the Europa League. Leith, what do you see from this one? Does Barca, you know, can they go back-to-back wins? Are they as shaky as people think, or are they really starting to find their footing in this new season? Uh, I don't think they're as shaky as people think, but I think people also underestimate Sevilla. I know I did before we played them the other day, and I will not make that mistake again. So I think this is going to end up being a 2-2 draw. Both sides put up a good value. And I'm actually, I'd love to be bold and pick Sevilla to win here, but I think I I need to ch- overtake you in the points here. I forgot to mention out the top that you are two points clear of me now um, after three weeks. So I'm going to pick against you just so I... <laughs> Just to try to make up some points, I think I'm going to take Barca. Mm, Do they get three? I'm going to say 2-0 Barca. All right, and then lastly in La Liga, before we move on to the Bundesliga, Valencia and Real Betis. I'm going to take Betis just because I like their green kits, and I know that Valencia, they sold a lot of good players in the summer. So I'm going to say 2-1 Betis. Oh, man, I had this game scoreline written down. <laughs> uh, I'm going to call Yeah, I'm going to use this as our buffer. We're going to keep the same thing. Just <laughs> All right, both backing Betis. Well, that's a guaranteed loss now. Okay. <laughs> and then in the Bundesliga, Eintracht Frankfurt versus, versus Hoffenheim, who, again, looked really strong against Bayern. Can they keep it up? Yeah, Andre Kramerich, uh, he's a really good player. Showed against Bayern. I think he shows it again against Frankfurt. I'm going to give this a 2-1 win for Hoffenheim. And I'm going to raise you one and say 2-0 for Hoffenheim. And then lastly, RB Leipzig. RB Leipzig, as the uh, commercials in Germany like to say, against poor Schalke, who I don't think are ever going to recover from an 8-0 thrashing from Bayern. Like... We could, it could be months from now, and I'm still going to... That's the only thing I think of when I think of Schalke. So, <laughs> I'm thinking Leipzig just too strong. I'm going to go 3-1. Uh, I'm going to go with the same thing Max did. I'm going 4-0. All right, 4-0. So, again, as it stands, Leith currently in the lead is 17-15. Again, the way the scores work, um, you get one point for picking the correct result. That is, like, having the correct winner or if it's a draw. And then two points if you... Per- predict the correct result and the correct scoreline, which Lath has proven annoyingly adept at doing that. <laughs> so hopefully I'll get back at him this week. All right. Well, again, thanks so much guys for joining us. It was an absolute pleasure to have Max Wadsworth on. I hope you guys enjoyed the video or the interview, um, a video. That'd be weird for a podcast. We're trying to play a video, on there. but, um, but yeah, he was an absolute pleasure to have on. And again, we'll try to get some more guests through the virtual door as we continue. Um, Again, if you guys have any suggestions of people you'd like us to talk to that are feasible, again, we only have like a thousand followers on Twitter. So don't ask for a Ronaldo interview because it's just not going to happen. So um, again, it's absolute, it's so great to have him on. Um, and I hope you guys enjoyed that interview. And again, be sure to check us out as always on Twitter and Instagram and the website. Um, that is all under the relegation zone and then the website relegation zone hub. Again, you can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, all kinds of other stuff two long podcast today Lath. honestly kind of relieved to have it done so we can get done and watch some footy this weekend big weekend too for college football i know most of you come here for our european football things but Lath and i's respective american football teams are going head to head this saturday so one way or the other somebody will have some trash to talk um come to pod next weekend so Lath, with that any last words 
Uh, Andre Kramich for uh, Ballon d'Or. Heard it here that first. Terrible. It's getting worse and worse at these, I swear. I know.